Hello, fellow fiends. Welcome to another episode of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I'm your host, Cassiopeia. Um, I'm always so excited to be bringing you new creepy and spooky content, so make sure that you tune in every Friday for new episodes. And if you subscribe to the Patreon or the Anchor website, you get bonus episodes every other Tuesday. You actually get a merchandise discount that is good on all of the items in the Wiccan Fae store at pizzaandpigtails.com. And it's good for every purchase, Um, not just a one-time thing, not just a um, over a certain amount. It's every item in the shop. So I think that's pretty good. (laughs) Um, I know that a lot of you would like to support, but sometimes maybe the budget's a little tight or um, you don't want to do a whole subscription. Um, You can actually support without subscribing. I do have a Cash App and a Venmo. And honestly, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to just send a dollar or anything like that. What's that really going to do? You'd be surprised. A dollar here, a dollar there. It all adds up and it is very appreciated and it helps out with the podcast and it helps um it helps me bring content to you in a much uh, more efficient manner. Um, You can also support by purchasing the merchandise, the Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces merchandise, and you can also um, support by purchasing the Wiccan Fae candles. Um, Also, if you are a small business or a big business and you're looking for new ways to get your um, items and your content out there, I also have ad space available. So send me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com and I can send you all of the packages that I offer. Uh, So without further ado, let's get started on today's episode, shall we? If you ask any Seattle local, you know that they'll tell you the place to go is Kell's Irish Restaurant and Bar. Founded in 1983 by the McAleese family, Kell's resides in the basement of the Pike Place Market in the Butterworth Building, offering an experience truly authentic to the Northern Ireland region of the Glens of Antrim. Now, not only do they offer a farm-to-table experience, one of the largest whiskey collections in the city, live Irish music and performances, they also offer a rich and not so light-hearted and maybe even dark history. And not gonna lie, that might actually be my favorite kind of history. Now, the Butterworth Building holds paranormal activity dating back nearly a century. It is one of the most haunted pubs in Washington, serving spirits while hosting them along with the patrons. This is the spooky space of Kell's Irish Pub. Butterworth Block is a Greco-Roman building located at 1921 First Avenue in Seattle, Washington. 
It was originally built for the Butterworth and Sons Mortuary, opening up in 1903 after moving from several other locations. Designed by John Graham, who also designed the Roosevelt Hotel, the Space Needle, and four separate University of Washington facilities. The city's first purpose mortuary and comprehensive death-related services from corpse retrieval to coffin sales, washing and dressing the bodies, embalming, newspaper announcements, flowers, profit, and even musicians. Now, it also has claim to the first elevator on the United States West Coast, which was mostly used to transport bodies. Most everyone in Seattle came through that building at some point or another. It's built on a steep hill, so the building actually has three stories on the First Avenue side, but five on the Post Alley side. The top floor was homes of the employees, and this floor was actually accessed by a separate facade entrance. And the next floor down contained a showroom for coffins and caskets, a showroom for child-sized coffins, and a separate room for women's burial garments, and a private reception consultation room. Now, caskets ranged from $25 to $200. Robes were $4 to $125. And prices were set to accommodate everyone from the poorest to the wealthiest families in town. Now, those who wanted to stay with their loved ones from basically coffin to burial could use private rooms at the building with, at no extra cost. Now, the main floor on First Avenue, which had lion heads outside, contained offices, a morgue, the embalming room, and a utensil room to store used items for a variety of services. Now, there was also a funeral chapel, which held 150 in the lower main floor and 50 in the balcony. And this also had a choir balcony and a room for clergy, along with um, a space for the family to use, and it also held a restroom. There were also the best showroom, which housed coffins up to $890, and that's actually pretty expensive for that time, to be honest. Now, this room held mahogany ornamental plaster, stained glass, bronze and brass hardware, and lighting that actually had a rigged system of signals so it could cue the choir. Now the fourth floor down was the stockroom with fireproof vaults in which bodies could be stored more or less indefinitely for those who were unclaimed or undecided on how to be taken care of or disposed of after death. Now, the bottom floor was the basement, and this housed the heating plant, stables for the horses, and a storage place for funeral wagons. Now, before Butterworth and Sons, many of the bodies were unknown, passing from things like tuberculosis, diphtheria, a Spanish flu, and no burial services 
the dead bodies would just kind of appear on the streets. Um, the city actually began paying $50 per body that was removed. And Butterworth saw this opportunity and jumped in on it, revolutionizing the funeral business. E.R. Butterworth and Sons were innovators, and they even coined the phrase mortuary and mortician, and basically invented the modern funeral as we know it today. They also popularized satin line open caskets and lavish processions. Edgar Ray Butterworth was born in 1847 in Newton Upper Falls, Massachusetts, to William and Eliza. His grandfather, Noah, served in the American Revolution, and in 1857, the family moved to Minnesota, where his father worked as a millwright for around six years or so. Now, when the Civil War began, Edgar actually tried to enlist, but he was told that he was too young. And in 1863, he moved back to Massachusetts. From the age of 16, Edgar was the main source of income for his family. He started out as a hatter. Then, even without a formal education, he began to study law and was admitted to the bar in Massachusetts at just 21. In 1869, he married Grace Whipple, a descendant of William Whipple, who was actually one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. They had one son together, Gilbert, but sadly, Grace passed away just two years into the marriage. Now, after Grace's death, Edgar moved to St. Louis, Missouri, where he once again entered into the Hatter profession. And in 1873, he married Maria Gillespie. And together, they would actually have four more sons. Now, from here, they moved to Kansas, where Edgar became a cattleman. And he would haul bones of dead bison 125 miles to the nearest railroad station for $10 per ton. While on one of his runs, his team came upon a man grieving his wife and newborn child, and Edgar actually used his own wagon box to build a coffin. It was his very first one. Now, in 1881, the Butterworth family moved to Washington. His original thought was to raise livestock, but he quickly realized that the area was not really cattle country, so he decided to build the first steam power flour mill west of the Cascades. The family relocated to Centerville, where Edgar set up a small furniture business, and he became highly involved in the community. He served on the first city council, then as the city's mayor, and he also did two terms in the state legislature. When Black Bedphyria hit the area, Edgar was called upon to make coffins. This was when Edgar decided to go into the undertaking business. At first, he continued with the furniture business and just kind of stocked a line of ready-made coffins manufactured in Olympia. But in 1892, he relocated to Seattle, and he was now a successful businessman, and he fully committed to being an undertaker. 
He purchased controlling interest in the Cross and Company Undertakers, which was located in the Masonic Temple on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Pike Street. The business was soon renamed E.R. Butterworth and Sons, with Edgar's five sons joining him. Gilbert and Frederick actually survived the others and were followed up by their own sons and grandchildren. And in fact, the last Butterworth to handle the company before it was sold in 1998 was Bert Butterworth Jr., who was Edgar's great-great-grandson. Edgar was a pioneer of the modern undertaker, owning the first hearse north of the Columbia River. He often forgave the debts of customers who weren't able to pay, but he wasn't all good. Um, According to some stories, he would actually have people killed to kind of fluff up his business. Now, was this true? Or was it just defamation from jealous locals who weren't as successful? Some say that he was teamed up with Dr. Linda Burfield Hazard, who was convicted of murdering her patients by starving them to death, and she didn't even have a medical license. So Butterworth and Sons were actually implicated in the scandal, and they cremated one of her victims, then provided a less emaciated body for the funeral. The family denied any involvement and actually prided themselves on ethics and charity. The mortuary was named as co-defendants in a $25,000 lawsuit for desecrating a body. Uh, They weren't convicted, but Dr. Hazard went to prison. And you'll hear more about her in a future episode, so make sure that you subscribe and follow so you can hear more on, on her. So... Edgar, was he the stand-up model citizen, or was he secretly having citizens of the community murdered? Gilbert, uh, the eldest son, I mean, no one attracted more attention, both positive, negative, and downright embarrassing. When he divorced Ellen, his wife of six years and the mother of his three children, At the pleas of Anna Blackburn, his mistress, who then divorced her husband and married Gilbert only two days later. It lasted a whole five weeks when he found himself being sued for $25,000 by Joseph Blackburn for the alienation of the affections of Anna. You see, Joseph Blackburn was Anna's ex-husband, and they basically played Gilbert, and he later found that he was a mark that was basically targeted months before. The judge actually ended up throwing out the case, though, so good for Gilbert, I guess. Now, December 16th, 1906, during a funeral procession, one of the drivers lost control of his wagon. The horses burst into a gallop, dragging the carriage down a busy street, teetering back and forth and back and forth. Gilbert uh, jumped into action, 
exited the door of the wagon, climbed on top as it was moving at full speed. He found the driver unconscious, so he slammed the brakes, bringing the horses to a halt seconds before disaster struck. In 1914, World War I broke out, and Gilbert was in charge of the company at this time, which, with the war and the global Spanish flu pandemic, it was quite a time to be in the undertaking business. Despite the precautions, a thousand and three residents perished by 1918. Now, the Navy was obligated to cover the funeral bills, and they entered into a contract with E.R. Butterworth and Sons up to $100 for each sailor's casket and shipment. On October 1918, that's my birthday. I mean, well, not 1918, but, you know. Anyway... (laughs) Gilbert was arrested on 43 counts of defrauding the families of sailors. Basically, they said that he double-dipped, and they billed families and the government, and he was actually facing five years in prison. Now, being a successful funeral director, Gilbert was able to hire the best defense, and many of the jury actually knew him. Uh, Which side of him they knew? Not quite sure. But even with the testimonies of George and Martha Hardenreich, uh, farmers who lost their son to the flu, uh, he said that uh, Gilbert told them $100 wasn't good enough for their son, and he tried to upsell them. The trial lasted a little more than a week, but the jury couldn't come to a decision, so a retrial was scheduled. Eight months later, the family was back in the courtroom except 72-year-old E.R. He had suffered a stroke, and this kept him homebound. Now, Gilbert was found not guilty, and at this, he kissed his third wife, Cora. Now, the celebration was sweet, but short-lived. A little over a year later, January 1st, 1921, E.R. Butterworth passed away after suffering three strokes. This was when Butterworth Mortuary moved locations, and in 1936, Gilbert passed, and he also suffered strokes. Now, coming back to modern times, the owners of Kell's Irish Pub say a piece of the dark history clings to their humble establishment. Bartenders, patrons, and ghost hunters have all claimed to have seen ghosts at the pub late at night, and even during the day. Events and ongoings have happened that the owners can only attribute to otherworldly forces. Feelings of unease when alone, especially at night. And when the owner and manager of Kell's Irish Pub began renovating the building, they quickly became aware of something odd. A worker performing a demolition on an upper floor took photos to show the progress, and in one of those photos, something highly unexpected was revealed. A man, deathly pale, with dark, gaping eyes and his mouth sewn shut, was looking back at them. 
The owner looked into the history of the building and feels the souls are just kind of making their presence known. Glasses have been pushed off the bar by unseen hands. Dirty handprints are discovered on the windows right after being cleaned. And I can tell you that's, I'm sure that's frustrating. <laughs> the small, ornate whiskey bar that has candles, um, they actually light on their own. And when searched, no one is around and the door is bolted. Mirrors have shattered with no cause, and plaster actually falls off the walls. On All Saints Day 2005, Karen Michalice uh, reported seeing in the kitchen a tall man who looked like he was half black with a suit jacket on. He had very thin hands. He walked to the end of the bar and just kind of faded. In Thanksgiving 2005, Patrick was talking with two friends who had stopped by and they knew that they were closed for the holiday. Um, Patrick was facing the street while his friends were facing the opposite direction, looking towards the kitchen. When one of his friends asked, who's the redheaded woman in the kitchen? Upon further inspection, no one was there. The back doors were locked, and the only way that somebody would have been able to get in or out was by Patrick and his friends. Now, footsteps have been heard on the floors above when the building was vacant. Distant, tortured whispers are heard when no one else is around. A photo snapped what appears to be a small disfigured child with no legs sitting on the steps that lead to the main floor. Now, Josiah, a former employee, says that he used to work security there and he saw her sitting on the steps and he actually called over the radio about a child being where they weren't supposed to be. And he went over to investigate just to kind of see, like, you know, who's this kid? And he climbed up the only way to the only door and found that the child was gone, but the spot where they were was absolutely freezing. And Josiah said that he's actually never been more terrified um, in his life. <laughs> now, the most frequent spirit scene is a young girl with red ringlet curls in a red velvet dress with white stockings and black shoes. She's actually seen a lot in the daytime She's a little bit of a prankster, but very friendly and playful, and she's drawn to other children. She manipulates toys and makes them move, and most think that she most likely uh, passed away from the flu. Now, Charlie is an older gentleman who wears a derby. Uh, he makes random appearances, mostly when the bands are playing, um, also friendly and sociable. Uh, patrons claim that they see him smiling at them in the mirror behind the bar, but when they turn to say hello or when they turn, you know, just to kind of smile back or whatever, he's not there anymore. One of the owners actually fell down the stairs, just barely avoiding serious injury, and they said that they felt someone push them, but no one else was around. 
And this isn't the first time. There have been other reports of people being touched and people being pushed and kind of shoved. So it seems to be that there are some not-so-friendly spirits as well. Uh, doors open and close randomly. Security lights will turn on, but no one is seen. And a ghost hunting crew once set up recording devices and picked up a couple of sayings um, they heard looking for my child, uh, get me out of here, do something quicker, get us hazard, stop it, and get off that thing. And I kind of wonder what that last one is talking about. Um just because it was just because of the history like what it was before and what it is now like who were they telling to get off what <laughs> now according to a shaman who once visited there are at least 19 spirits who haunt the building and the family wants to make it clear the spirits are welcome here they were here first now, what I want to know is, have you ever visited Kell's Irish Pub? Did you have any experiences? Did you see anything? Did you hear anything? Um, as always, tell me in the comment below because I would love to hear your stories. And on that note, I will see you next crime. Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia is a Pizza and Pigtails production. All episodes are researched, written, and edited by yours truly. You can find new episodes every Friday with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday. You can find the podcast on your favorite listening platform or now you can find it on YouTube as well. Don't forget to follow along on social media, creepycases.spookyspaces, for all future news updates and maybe some content that you won't find on the podcast. Also, be sure to subscribe so you can get access to bonus content, early access to content, and a couple of little thank you swag. If you'd like to contact me about appearing on a future episode, maybe you would like to suggest your own creepy case or spooky space, or maybe you'd also like to reach out about ad space, you can reach me directly at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com, or feel free to reach out through those social media platforms as well. And as always, see you next crime.